0: Yo, what's up? Welcome to the Movie Newbie. I'm your host, Jabril, and get ready for the show. Just a word of warning spoilers ahead. I you. Yo, what's up, guys? And we're back again with episode six. Wow, like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those are be added effects for episode six. We're getting more we're getting more money, so
2: Yeah, we'll we won't have to get raft to do the air horn sound effect in the future. Once we
0: get that sweet, sweet sponsorship from <laughs> to
2: home, <Yeah>. to whoever.
0: <laughs> If you if you heard certain brand names, we bleep them out because we are not sponsored by those people. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, right, am I not even allowed to
2: mention them on the air? Sure, I
0: don't, don't know. Either. Can we? <laughs>
1: yeah, just, I mean, just, just in passing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. put a beep on it when you post post production. Just fix yeah, it in yeah.
0: post. <laughs> but yeah, we're back again for episode six. I'm pretty excited. The last two were great. And I I really want to know what you guys have in store for me what's this, this third Stevie speedy movie uh
1: so i i feel like we've done very well with stevie speedy so far uh we we've painted a, a nice little palette uh, of his films starting out with jaws and then et you know these these landmarks in american cinema and i feel like uh we cannot miss this next one and it this next one uh, veers a little into the serious side Uh, Very serious, shall I add. Um, And we shall be watching... Well, you, Gabriel, shall be watching Schindler's List. Now, a very different kind of note. Not quite the E.T. magic realism. More just fucking realism. Uh, This film, uh, I mean, it it, it holds as maybe one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, It's listed as number eight in the American film Institute. Um, it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's in the national film registry. It's, it's one of the, you know, just one of the greatest films ever made by Steven Spielberg. And I feel like for me, it's his magnum opus, uh, you know, winning seven Academy awards and, and really painting the, the, the hollowness, the, the hark, uh, despair and desolateness of, of world war two, a time, uh, Uh, That was very, very eerie for for all of us, for all of mankind. Um, And the film follows Oskar Schindler, who is a a German businessman who, together with his wife, uh, Emil Schindler, saved more than a thousand uh, Polish Jews uh, from the Holocaust by employing them in their factories during World War II. Uh, The film stars Liam Neeson, Ralph Fiennes and Ben Kingsley. Uh, at the height uh, of their career or or maybe the beginning of the height of their career Uh, and yeah so very different note Um, and it's and 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 Jabril uh, forgive the uh, the the time of this film it's three hours and 15 minutes long but it's seamless it's a seamless three hours and 15 minutes you know and maybe don't eat during this film have you heard yeah. about this film before? Were you someone that knew of this film or had studied it in high school?
0: During high school, I did um, history, and we I think we spent a full year on Nazi era Germany, um, Hitler, um, and we we watched loads of different movies. Uh, there was that one where all the memes came out from it—the German movie about Hitler. I can't remember. Ah, uh, Downfall. Called. Uh yeah um Mm. we watched that we watched uh the pianist um schindler's list Mm. was also a movie that we watched and there was another movie about uh hitler's rise to power i also can't remember the name of the movie but yeah another thing is is that i went to poland last summer and i actually stayed in the neighborhood that it's set in in kashmir um and for us we wanted to limit the amount of like Depressing history that we go and see because there's a lot of history that there's a lot of history and a lot of emotions attached to those places. So we went to Auschwitz instead of visiting um, the factory that, like the the real factory in in that area. Um, so I know a little, like quite a bit about the the history behind this movie. But to be honest, for the life of me, I can't remember the movie that much because I watched it in class.
1: Mm. yeah against your will probably yeah
0: yeah like i was really interested in history i really loved the subject but i think watching it over like three class like over three weeks you know like we only watched it in class so i think it might have lost its effect and also just my memory of the film because it was just in in blocks yeah
1: yeah absolutely what about you ollie had you are you familiar with this one
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. I
2: actually think, I never watched it in high school like a lot of people did. And um, I remember it was a running joke at one point with my, um, the guy I lived with, uh, someone I lived with at university, a friend, he and I, you know, neither of us had ever seen this film and it seemed like everyone else had seen this film. And we always said that, we were always saying to each other, you know, one day we're going to have to watch in this list, but for some reason we just kept putting it off. And it wasn't until the very end of third year that we finally sat down and watched it together. Mm. Um, so I've only seen it the one time. So oh, I'm inter- wow. I'll be interested to revisit this, yeah. It's, mm. And like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a completely different side uh, of Spielberg. Um, and if anything, I think Schindler's List might feel more familiar to people who've watched uh, more of Spielberg's recent films, mm. um, like the films that he's put out in the last five to ten years. So yeah, I'll, I'll be excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah. And I feel like um, for a director like Steven Spielberg, I mean, he's a he will go on to tackle uh, another side of World War Two uh, with, Saving Private Ryan and both kind of hold a very uh, special place in, in in cinema. And both are are ultimately just magnificent films. So it's for a director to tackle on, you know, World War Two in two different ways and do it. Seamlessly, you know, without effort, incredible.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly why you guys consider him one of the greats of American cinema, Hollywood cinema. Absolutely. Like, yeah, from the from the movies that we've watched already, and from the movies that I've seen of his in the past, he has a huge range. So I'm pretty mm. I'm pretty excited to to see this one again and and have a chat about it with you guys.
2: Absolutely, let's do it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we're gonna head out and watch this movie, and uh, we'll get to you guys in a bit. All right, and we're back. Just watched <sighs> Schindler's List. Wow, this movie is um, <laughs> a different
1: a different movie.
0: Yeah, it hit it hits hard. It hits hard. Mm. Yeah, just like initial thoughts. It's it's a very heavy movie. A lot of emotion attached to it especially in the way it's filmed and just the character development. And uh, yeah, it's something that's going to be, it's going to be difficult doing this podcast this time because we're usually very jovial and sarcastic and we try to make jokes, but this is a subject that I don't think we can, we can do that. So how about you guys give us some thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for the listeners out there, I think this is more of a serious uh, episode, I guess in that sense because we're dealing with a subject matter that is a lot heavier than the previous ones let's not take that away from the fact that we are still uh you know going through Steven Spielberg's cinematography and and and, uh, and library of films and this just happens to be in my opinion uh his timeless masterpiece and rewatching it uh only cemented that for for me
2: yeah i am um... You know, it's. It, I'll just echo what you guys said. It's pretty difficult to talk about this film without having some kind of reverence for the subject matter it deals with, and of course, we'll still try to maintain an uh, an air of profession. We'll still try to cri- be critical when we're thinking and talking about this movie. But yeah, it, it mm. it's it, you kind of have to talk about it in hushed, solemn tones, because regardless of your whether or not you like the movie, I think it's hard to walk out of it without feeling crushed or quite shaken by what you have seen because it's hard not to have it'd be really hard not to have that reaction to the images that you are seeing on the screen
0: definitely yeah. definitely and
1: i think for me especially but i i'm sure for 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 listeners and for you guys this was the movie um, and of course, the first time I watched this was uh, for educational purposes. You know, I watched this at school, but it was the first film that really changed me, because not only did it represent a bleak part of history, but it was also the way it was made really changed the way I viewed films, changed the way it uh, changed the way I viewed performances, and and, and my whole approach to 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 film had had forever changed because of this film so it left a really a strong impression on me not just because of the subject matter but because of the way it was made
2: it's funny because i think after talking with you guys and talking with some friends about this movie it seems that most people first watched it um at least from our generation most people first watched it in history class in school. Mm. Uh, or in an educational context, I didn't. I didn't watch this film until uh, I think about five years ago, when I was in my last year of university. But um, yeah, so it's just interesting to to see how people have it holds such a special place in some people's hearts because they watched it when they were at a very young and impressionable age, and at a time when maybe they hadn't mm. seen a lot of movies mm. like this.
1: Yeah, that's true. I I think for you Gabriel it was the same case right you you saw it at school as well over different periods Yeah
0: right? yeah so like I said in the intro I think I um I mentioned watching it in school but now that I've watched the movie again I think um during school time we watched it in parts and my teacher just like zoomed into the parts that were relevant to what we were studying so um this is mm. I this is definitely the first time I've watched it from beginning to end and basically got the full effect of the storytelling of the filmography. And that was one of the first things right. that I wanted to talk yeah. about is the storytelling and how how emotion is built from the beginning to the end of the movie. You can tell from like the characters that uh, make an appearance in every part of the movie, like uh, I guess the guys that were selling on the black market then becoming the police officer, then. Uh, I like mm-hmm. he was like the guy that was getting bribed. Um, just it kind of remind me reminds me of Rear Window, how they brought in characters each and every time, you know, like throughout the movie to mm. continue mini storylines. Um, so that really captured yeah. me, just like the really powerful storytelling. Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 you mentioned the uh, I guess there's a strength in in secondary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because the core, I guess the. The core cast being uh, Oscar Schindler, who's played by Liam Neeson, and later we were introduced to Ralphine's character. Um, or Ben Kingsley, you know though those are the core core um, core characters, but when you take away from that, you see another world and that's the secondary mm-hmm. cast and that's m- predominantly the uh, the the Jewish community or the German soldiers. There's so much complexity in that in that supplementary kind of storytelling that each layer is kind of soaked with that complexity so you're given. Which is why I think it is three hours long, but it's made seamless Mm -hmm. because it weaves in and out of different characters of different stories. So it's easy to like track and follow and feel throughout.
2: But um, I just wanted to say that it's it's incredibly well edited. The fact that it manages to this is a three, uh, nearly a three and a half hour film, yet it moves at such a fast clip. Despite and it's not, but it's not as if you know it's an enjoyable experience at the same time. Yet it's thoroughly engrossing and i think that the way in which it encompasses all of those stories and moves between those characters and touches on those different sort of side narratives um uh, really speaks to how well this is put together
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah like i don't think the movie would have felt the same if it were uh shorter than 3 hours i think the time mm-hmm. is just a reflection of how good the story itself was
2: yeah i think i think i think the emotional impact of this film is completely upheld by the running the running length. I think that you need to kind of be, frankly, like beaten into submission by this film and pummeled with mm. um, pain after pain after pain after horror after tragedy, and then it needs to take its time to build you back up. It doesn't it doesn't turn on a dime. It hope is reintroduced gradually, and because it took its time, I think that. Um, that uplifting, I mean, if if you can, I don't know if you guys think that the ending is uplifting, but whatever positive feeling you come away with or sense of hope is earned because it took the time to really immerse you in the horror of the Holocaust.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if that's the thing as well. I don't, do they make films like this anymore or are directors and producers willing to make films of this, um, of this magnitude anymore or do films like this just become series now or mini series or or TV shows just because of the length of it i don't know it's it, it, it obviously there's the example of the irishman to be 3 hours long but i feel like movies like this don't get made anymore but that that might be just me um i i watched this movie and i'm like I don't feel like I've seen something like this ever since that came out in 1993. You know, there's this particular kind of style to it, their particular kind of way of, of making a movie that just, I, I don't feel like I, I see that anymore. I don't know about if you guys feel the same.
0: I feel like the three hour market movie is like reserved for, Basically franchise movies like the Marvel movies and stuff nowadays. Like I think the Irishman was the only movie mm-hmm. that I've seen in a long time that that even broke the three hour mark. And that and
2: that and that had to and that ended up on Netflix partly because it was so long. Like Martin Scorsese yeah. yeah. had originally set that film up at Paramount Studios where he's had a long term relationship, and uh, when he told them that he wanted the film to cost this much and to be this long, three and a half hours long. They ultimately said, no, we just don't think it'll be profitable that way. And so he went, he wow. moved it to Netflix, which, and it's still a movie, don't get me r- wrong, but you're saying, you know, would this end up on television if it were the same length? It's Netflix is essentially, in a way, television. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think what you guys are talking, what you're talking about, JBL, with regards to only franchise movies, like superhero movies, getting to be released in the cinema with this running time, I, I, I think that's true. And that's part, part of the problem there is that, um, people have been talking a lot recently about how the middle class of filmmaking has essentially bottomed out, mm-hmm. um, how it's disappeared completely. So, you know, in you know, in the past, you'd have low-budget movies, mid-budget movies, and then blockbuster high-budget movies. And the mid-budget movies mm-hmm. would often be adult dramas that would be um, serious but would uh, have a lot of big talent behind them and would have a decent production budget behind them. Uh, but they would be for serious film goers, And yet at the same time, they would be widely seen and released in cinemas all across the world. And yeah. now mm. that kind of content, that kind of material, that kind of the, the stuff built for that audience has been has left the cinemas completely and has ultimately either moved to Netflix or to streaming services in movie form or has become television, prestige television.
1: Mm. And I think... Yeah, I mean, that's like a great point. I think maybe there's an attention spam now that we're getting that we can't even when the Irishman did come out, there was a backlash on on the length. Um, But 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 to think uh, about how this movie was made and if I can just instill my first fact here, um, it was hard for Spielberg to make this film, um, I think uh because it was a passion project and there was less of a he had created the whole summer blockbuster and the blockbuster vibe and then to suddenly do this was a very different kind of ball game and uh universal kind of balked at it and the relative the relatively low budget 23 million three hour black and white holocaust movie was too much of a risk they said so they asked steven spielberg to actually make another project Uh, that had been brewing at the time and for the studio, which was Jurassic Park. Uh, So they made that lucrative summer movie. They made that first. He made all his money, and then he went on to make Schindler's List, uh, which came out, I think, in December, and Jurassic Park came out in June because they were both released in 1990.
2: That's crazy that these films were released within only a few months of each other. And I heard that Mm. Steven Spielberg was editing Jurassic Park on the set of Schindler's List. And he's, he's spoken about what an emotionally um, uh, devastating experience it was as someone who had relatives in the Holocaust and someone who, is, who was raised uh, in the Jewish faith to make this yeah. kind of film with this, you know, with this, with, with this kind of – I don't know, to make this kind of film. And at the same time, he was editing a, a Jurassic Park, which don't get me wrong, is an amazing film. But I mean, yeah. God, right. yeah. How do you yeah. switch between those headspaces?
1: yeah exactly. The juxtaposition's a bit <laughs> is a bit uh crazy to think about um but yeah, so it's it definitely took him i think a long time to process even thinking about making this film and he even stated that he wasn't mature enough to tackle the subject matter and he went around different directors, including martin Scorsese he went around Brian de palma he went around these big heads. Um, that also turned the film down because of the approach and because of the story until there was kind of no one left for him to to ask or 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 to give, so he decided to make it himself when he deemed it necessary and and he deemed his maturity to be you know, i guess competent enough to to tackle it and Boy did he make a graceful fucking film sorry for my french
2: um, so uh, there are a couple of um I guess we can start just talking about random observations we had while watching the film. I guess I, I I thought I'll start off by saying, I just thought it was interesting how um, they placed a certain emphasis through the cinematography on, on lists and names throughout the film. I think it's one of the first shots you have the, well, before the opening credit sequence after the opening credit sequence, you have the train arriving and all those displaced uh, Jewish people stepping off the train into Krakow. And, um, Uh, lining up to be and giving their names for registration and then you see and then you 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 know you contrast that with the the people who are giving their names um to for registration who have been picked by oscar schindler to not go to auschwitz and to go to his work in his factory instead and i just think uh, i mean it's in there in the title it's called schindler's list but i think it just really hammers home how um, something as arbitrary as paperwork, because having your name written on one piece of sheet, one sheet of paper or another, can decide, can be the decision made between keeping you alive and killing you.
0: Yeah, uh, that was like, I, I felt really apparent when um, he was looking for Ishak Stern, Ben Kingsley's character, um, when he forgot his uh, papers one morning and they decided to put him on a train. And there's this back and forth between um, the German officers and Oskar Schindler. And at the end, they were just joking about how it was just a list, just a piece of paper. And it was more paperwork, which um, was like pretty consistent throughout the rest of the movie, where they just talk about the Jewish people as if they were just another thing that they had to decide that day, you know, like whether they should make certain decisions. It was like very... um, how, how do I say this? it was just very casual the way they spoke about it
1: no for for sure it's a, a, a it's a good um i mean it's a reoccurring theme that that travels throughout this film um the typing and the list and i think there were there were um several lists within the movie uh one to to decide whether or not yeah life or death the other being uh the factory um and It's just those little things that make you think about the, well, the whole bleakness of the world. And I think his moral Schindler's moral ambivalence kind of starts to, to impact him a little bit. And the conflict kind of stirs his morality as he, as he gains more popularity within the Jewish community uh, from his benevolence, from accepting workers into it. Um, And I love for me, Liam Neeson was, I mean, it's one of his finest performances uh, in his whole career, I like to believe. And I, I feel like the character, the way they kind of told his arc was was gradual and slow, and it, 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 it there was time and effort to it, and the degradation of the world around starts to worsen, and he starts to get better. I feel like Spielberg also... Um, was astounded by the story when he first heard of it and asked if it was true uh because he it was just that remarkable of a man of that stature with that much wealth to be like to turn and and to suddenly help you know because this was a you know this was a Nazi party member you know this 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 was someone who who fought for the cause you know he built you know, shells, he built weaponry for, you know, for the war efforts using, you know, Jews. So there was so much complexion already that, within that. And then yeah, turn, there was
2: But yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, I was just gonna say there, there was nothing in either the character or the real life figure who he was based on. There was nothing in his past to suggest that he you know, he was uh, um, I don't know, that he was particularly interested in humanitarian causes or in saving the lives of exactly. others because he was um you know he was a bit of a playboy as as is depicted in the film. Mm. He was really driven by wealth, by um commercial success, by
1: business. Presentation and yeah.
2: absolutely, absolutely. And I and I like that, you know, I think I, I think I read something similar to you, Raph, that uh Spielberg was just astonished by this uh the by the story of someone who made such a um uh, made such a significant change in their values mm. and he couldn't believe it at first. And I like how he partly, but I think in respond by res- he was re- chose to respond to that in this film by not really um, you know, he doesn't really underline exactly when or how this yeah. character makes that change. You know, there's no one scene, I think, in which it's made really obvious to the viewer that this is when Oscar Schindler just realized that humans were worth more than money. It's a very gradual, very um, ambiguous uh, uh, progression in his character. And I and I personally think that that's um, I don't think that makes this a character study necessarily, but it does make it more realistic and it makes it more and it and it doesn't run the risk of uh trading um authenticity for i don't know for for narrative convention
1: yeah for sure and i think jabril um emphasized that point where he really liked uh he he he, the the strength relied on on those secondary characters and i feel like spielberg wanted to focus to shift the focus on the jewish story of the film so that Schindler's transition was gradual and ambiguous, and it was not a sudden breakthrough or
0: epiphany yes. that
1: he had, which would have destroyed you know kind of the the arc uh, of his
0: character exactly. I guess just the way the film emphasizes the the suffering of the Jewish people, um you actually feel like maybe Oscar's character is even a little bit secondary to that in my opinion. Like I was a lot more focused in mm, their struggle mm. rather than oscar schindler's um development
2: well, I think if they made a this if they if they made this movie primarily as a psychological study of oscar schindler or um you know uh, or 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 a tale of his redemption, that would in an perhaps in an inappropriate or insensitive fashion take away from the people mm-hmm. who ultimately ultimately mattered which were the this yeah. this community of Jewish people that were just decimated.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there's a sensitivity to it, right? There's not. There's no. You know, glorious act. There's no. There's no dramatization, even in the deaths, right? The deaths. Mm. The violence that's depicted. Uh, the death that's depicted is utterly for me, utterly and eerily and painstakingly brutal and real. And and there's a slight jerk to each movement, to each death. There's like a slight human way of, of orchestrating each death that feels real. I remember when I first watched that when I was 14 years old, I thought it was... I thought it was real for a moment. I actually thought, which it was, obviously, because this is a time in history, but to recreate that and make it look exactly as if it were, I mean, that's... Because death in movies, obviously, more often than not, is, is done in a glorious fashion or a dramatic fashion, right?
2: Yeah, it's made to be cinematic. Um, it's exactly. choreographed. It's made to be graceful. And, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've never personally witnessed someone in front of me Pass away, but uh, essentially, especially not to you know to 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 be murdered or anything that like that. Um, but I'd imagine that this yeah. is yeah, that this is what it's like. It's it's completely graceless. It's it's, and I think the way he depicts a lot of deaths, it's it would be almost like borderline comical if it weren't for how mm. gravely serious it all was. Because there are several instances in which uh, either someone dying or someone um, almost dying it happens and it unfolds in a really awkward fashion. Like I'm thinking of the, when that one um, metal worker is uh, brought out by R- rain finds character and he tries to execute him by shooting him in the back of the head and the gun just keeps jamming. Mm. And then he, even one of the, one of the other officers hands over his gun and he tries using that. And it's also jams. And then you have, the death mm. of that character himself, Eamon Goethe, played by Ray Fiennes, at the very end. He's being hung, and, you know, you often think of hang, uh, a person being hung. It's often, like in films like Westerns, it's depicted in a very brave way as if they're trying to martyr the character. But in here, you know, it's just mm. really awkward and slow. Like, they try to kick out the chair from underneath him, and it doesn't crack properly. And so they, so two soldiers have to kick mm. it repeatedly until he kind of awkwardly stumbles off the chair and you know dies in a and dies in a really ignoble fashion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing about Spielberg that I feel like I've mentioned in the prior films that we talked about uh in Jaws or E.T., he's so good at capturing these moments. Even these awkward moments in life or in death, mm. he gets, which makes it grounded, it makes it real, it makes it raw and authentic and that's in a way his style the just to capture these moments that that bring it all in a very real place for us the audience yeah i
2: think it's yeah you're absolutely right i think maybe that is one of his characteristics um i think he likes to capture Mm. he like he's probably one of those people that thinks life is ultimately what happens in the margins you know what happens between the bigger events yeah so that's why you pick up on on things like the way in which Uh, A death is depicted on screen here or in Jaws. We talked about how one of our favorite scenes was just that moment between the father and the son in which the son is copying his movements. You know, it has no bearing on the plot, Mm. but it's just a little awkward, eccentric touch that just makes his films
0: feel real. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I also wanted to touch upon the use of black and white to film and showcase this beautiful piece of work do you think it would have uh, hit you in the same way or like would have been as effective if it were shot for color? Like what, what would, what do you think? Cause I feel the black and white hit in a different way and it also allowed for the scene, the scenes with uh, the girl in the red. So what do you guys mm, think about that?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I I i can not see this film to be in color and I feel like they've chosen to do a black and white um, portrayal to reflect the world that it's portraying, uh, for lack of a better word. And I feel like the colors in the film, the black and white, really represent the bleak palette and the undesirable grading. Um, And it also gives it an impressionistic feel, which I feel like um, the cinematographer Janusz Kaminski, he wanted to create a sense of timelessness. Uh, which is why they approached this to be in black and white, but also to give it a documentary feel to it. There is a, there's a, the, the, the lens they use, uh, and I think the camera type that they use, is a documentarian kind of camera that captures uh, the realistic approach of, of, of this world, and it gives a timeless impression to the film so that the audience uh, maybe wouldn't have a sense of when this was made. I think Spielberg decided to mm-hmm. use black and white to match the feel of mm-hmm. actual documentary footage of the era For to sure. closely relate to that era itself, but also to um to to picture and paint the Holocaust because mm-hmm. the Holocaust was life without yeah. light. Yeah. and I think that's symbolic to, to yeah, black and, and white. I think that's
2: why you know, just on your note about this looking like a documentary, I think the majority of this film it it seemed to me anyway to be shot on with handheld. Um, cam uh in ha- <clears throat> with ham- <throat> handheld cinematography, and uh, even that alone is quite a was quite a change in pace for Spielberg because you know he's the quintessential <clears throat> craftsman you know um when you think of Spielberg, you think of yeah. incredibly elaborate shots that were probably done with cranes and uh tracks and dollies and steady cam, and here he was uh, in some scenes it just looked like he was him and his camera crew were just running behind the action, holding the cameras in their hand, And it gives it a sense Mm -hmm. of immediacy. And um, yeah, I think a sense of realism that um, is frankly worlds apart from, you know, something like E.T. or Indiana Jones.
0: Definitely. Yeah, so like with specific to the scenes with the girl in the red, um, I think like going on your point, Raph, where the black and white imagery really reflects the the environment that they're in and yet something so innocent and beautiful just like a little Mm -hmm. girl basically representing some something young that doesn't deserve that environment and the way they show that in the movie by highlighting that out really really um it was really really emotional
1: yeah, and let's and let's dig into this ghetto liquidation sequence which in my opinion was you know one of those greatest one of the greatest sequences ever filmed. Uh but yeah, what what was your first impression on on that Jabriel that whole cuz I f- I believe it was like at least 10 to 15 minutes long.
0: So she first shows up when um Oscar Schindler and his mistress, I'm guessing, were riding their horses and she shows up on the streets. That's at least the first memory I have of her showing up. And they basically give you Mm -hmm. Oscar Schindler's point of view, like the way he scans the streets and looks and then he fixates Mm -hmm. on the girl. And um, yeah, that was just Mm because when I first saw the red, I was like, "Whoa, am I am I picturing the red? And like, am I actually seeing this? I thought it was just mm. so out of the ordinary. And then when I came to my senses, I realized that, yeah, this was uh, the effect of it, of her just walking along the streets and Oscar realizing what's happening. And I feel maybe that might be the turning point of when he decides that he's he has more of a soft spot, I'm guessing. So when mm-hmm. that all happens, and then you think that's the end of, of her scene and you don't really see her again, and then for her to show up later on in the film, in the back of a truck, was like wow, that really really caught me off yeah. guard.
2: After
1: mm.
2: after her body had been yeah dug up and yeah. exhumed from a mass, mass from grave. a mass grave, yeah. to yeah.
1: only to be burned. And
2: yeah, uh, yeah I think that scene is uh, most people will know what we're talking about. It's probably the most talked about scene yeah. in from the film. And I think there have been lots of different interpretations of it. Um, uh, But I mean, I think personally, I'll say that I think, you know, there's two ways you can look at it. I think on a more practical level, it's a a pretty cunning uh, device, um, cinematic device. Where it forces mm-hmm. you to kind of uh, focus on one of the victims in the crowd and to kind of uh, relate to them on a more personal level to single them out so that when you so that you build something of a relationship with them and then when you see them uh, and with that red coat you're able to recognize them as one of the bodies that are dug up later. It kind of you go through your own little grieving process for that person that you built a a very instant small connection with yeah. earlier on in the film. But then I think in a more abstract sense, I, I, I'm, I find it, I was trying to think about a, a way to articulate this before we started recording. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like it, and this might sound really jumbled, so apologies in advance, but I think it, I don't know. I feel like it points to the near absurdity of aesthetic beauty. I don't know. So like the idea is that we look at that scene and despite the horror that's going on, all around, we think how 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 beautiful that is in an intimate way, this this red coat sort of dancing through the black and white yeah. morass that is that whole setting. Mm-hmm. And then you ask yourself, why am I fixating on just a nice piece of color or just a, a bit of aesthetic beauty? When something so much more important is happening at the same time or so much more consequential, which is the genocide of all of these Jewish people. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what I I I guess
0: the juxtaposition of something as innocent and beautiful as a child in comparison to the the raw despair of what's going around, you know, the innocence of a child. She's just walking through Mm. the streets. She has no idea what's going to happen. She has no idea. she's just just experiencing it while the adults around her know what's happening, and I think that was a very effective way to to show that mm. and at the same time, uh, I think I read this somewhere where it was also a way for Spielberg to 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 show that people from the outside looking in, so like Oscar Schindler's case. Looking in and doing nothing about the situation, knowing about the situation. And yeah, that's why I mentioned when he started, the, the moment he decided mm-hmm. to, to maybe help the Jews a lot more.
1: Yeah, have a slight change of heart. But I, and to, to kind of alleviate or, 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 let's say, eradicate this deconstruction we've made on, on, on the little girl, on the little red girl, red coated girl however you want to phrase it, it's, it was actually based on a real person. Um, so the actual girl in the red coat was named Roma Ligoka, and she was a survivor of the Gokko ghetto, and she was known amongst the Jews living there by her red winter coat. Uh, Ligoka, uh, who is now a painter living in Germany, she actually wrote a biography about surviving the Holocaust called The Girl in the Red Coat. So you know all deconstructions aside maybe perhaps spielberg just references that because of 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 this actual person um well I, I don't there. i don't
2: know this for sure but, but apparent i i read that that was an unintentional reference that uh who oh, knows i, I mean ultimately who knows what was um going through spielberg's head um when he decided to include that in the film that could have been a decision that anyone else in the crew may have made or suggested to him or maybe even the writer or the cinematographer Mm. um uh, proposed this but um just because it's unintentional doesn't mean that it still isn't Mm -hmm. meaningful that oh um, for sure
1: for sure yeah no absolutely and i feel like Whatever we interpret from this particular sequence, it only uh, it, it only emphasizes the fact that it's such a, an impressionable um tool to to be used in in, in this scene. We all come out mm-hmm. of it feeling very strongly about it, no matter what right and And I feel that uh, besides this uh this red occurring in the in, in the black and white backdrop of violence and macabre. I feel like there's the extension of this scene is also plays a big part on 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 why this uh, particular sequence is strong, because if it was let's say five minutes different impression, if it was ten minutes different impression, I feel like the timing of it is so there's there's an importance to it, and 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 the sequence I feel like had to be this long in order mm-hmm. to almost be unwatchable. Definitely.
0: I think what makes yeah this movie watchable and which is pretty much consistent with every single Spielberg movie is, um, the amazing score behind the movie. And with, with, with all his work, I think Spielberg really pays attention to the,
1: Mm.
0: to the music that, I mean, there's a lot of care that goes into, to the music decisions that are made in his movies. And I feel, especially with Schindler's List, like, when you listen to that final song when the credits start rolling in the the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and like it, yeah. uh it's really effective um and that scene with a with a girl in the red dress yeah um without the the music behind it, I think would have been unbearable to watch
2: i think um and it's and yet at the same time, I think you're completely right it does make this uh, this whole process a little bit more, um, you know, bearable, like you said. But I think this this John Williams score, so John Williams is, you know, who uh, Steven Spielberg has worked with countless times in the past and they had a long relationship together. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, this is very different to his usual work. For It's it not is, built yeah. on themes or on uh, bombastic compositions. And I think a lot of the music as well is either... An Impression uh, is either you know an actual uh Jewish folk song or hymnal. Um, I'm not, mm-hmm. um, excuse me, forgive me, yeah. I don't know what the uh, the term is, or it's inspired by um historical songs mm-hmm. from the Jewish faith,
1: yeah. And he uses that to such good effect. And I feel like, um, also the the violinist who performs uh the theme, uh, I can't remember his name, Pearlman, yeah,
2: yeah, something like that.
1: It's the uh, sorry if we're if we're mispronouncing this, but it's there's such a beauty to it that almost renders us um, with a bit of faith towards towards the end of the film or whenever the score kind of arrives. There's almost a little bit of hope and faith uh, that this violin carries with its strings, and um, and you're right, the longtime collaborator John Williams. Uh, and Steven Spielberg, working together to make such a different film uh, is is only um, how do I put this into word only strengthens their maturity. the fact that they also were willing to change with this film to 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 really find a new level of of i wouldn't say. I guess I'll say genius. Yeah, a new level of of genius because most of their films have been you know benchmarks in 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 cinema, and this film introduces something else because they were willing to change with the film. And I feel like after this film, Steve, Steven Spielberg was changed forever, as well as John Williams because of this. This was very much the staple in, in, in their filmography or in their in their collaboration.
2: Yeah, I think I think to, I think of that. Uh... That notorious gas chamber sequence, mm. um, which you know you could probably record a podcast on itself, but the music in there—it's like something from Penderecki. You know, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's 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 horrifying. It it really gets under your skin, and it is so not what you think of when you think yeah. of John Williams.
1: No, no. Not at all. You're thinking of, like, the happy ending, you know, the the whole, like, you know, let's cheer. Especially John Williams. He's very uplifting. He's very, you know, he's very bombastic in a sense. Uh, Operatic. And cheerful. Mm. Operatic, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, and, and and maybe to 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 divert into something else here, I, I, I wanted to, because we can talk about, there's so many sequences in this film that we can explore and talk about, and maybe this podcast will be two hours if we do, but... To really compensate all of that and to talk about this, the, the way set pieces were made, the scale, the, the sheer scale of this movie. The fact that, yes, it was done with $22 million. And money aside, I feel like Steven Spielberg creates scales so vividly and so accurately with the amount of people that is in the film. I feel like movies get that sometimes a little wrong with the amount of people they introduce. So extra secondary characters or all the actors that are in this film really help carry it. Like when you see the, uh, what is it, the medical examination, the concentration camp, or even the concentration camp itself, you know, when you're seeing it perched from Ralph fien's house, that's... A set, you know, the scale of that, the, the amount of bodies, the amount of actors that had to be uh, in this film to recreate the, the image of the Holocaust, that was so important to the film, I feel. And, and if, and if it wasn't done, you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have gotten the same scale or the
0: same feel. Like having visited Krakow and Auschwitz and, um, and then watching this movie uh, the immense attention to detail that went into the just the set design it it really Mm. it looked like a lot of the areas that i that i that i visited Uh, especially i think the scene where um when the train accidentally gets diverted to auschwitz and just the amount of Mm. extras in the scene uh the way that it rolled in and the shots taken of did they? They didn't actually shoot in Auschwitz, did they? It was all created, right?
1: They they shot outside. They, they shot, shot outside. outside Auschwitz. They were permitted to shoot. Yeah, I believe they were permitted to shoot okay, outside so, the camp itself. Okay,
0: that's probably why it looked so realistic because they don't really reveal it to you unless you unless you know what it looks like. They don't reveal it to you until they actually step off the train. So. As soon as I saw them go through that like tunnel, I was like, "Oh, whoa, they're in Auschwitz now!" And yeah, so no, I I didn't realize that they shot part of it in. Poland. Yeah, uh,
2: I think yeah, the whole film. The the know. whole film the whole film oh yeah the whole film was oh, shot okay. in Krakow okay. in and around Krakow.
0: Yeah, it was on
1: it was on location, uh, which is what I feel like steeped. Um, it it was steeped in reality because of the fact that they didn't use elaborate sets. It was all on location and they had to construct sets outside of it. Um, and, and that just, that just paints the, the vivid realness of, of what this is, wow. of this picture. And and
0: Spielberg did this um, all himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, with I, the help of yeah, his, with,
2: with the help of his, um,
0: his production uh, team. Yeah, and, obviously. But and I and mean, he didn't, major, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have a his major, he didn't have a major production like, house behind him he didn't have like no
2: but he wasn't he wasn't like he well it was it was produced by universal so he did have the oh right
0: right, the weight
2: the weight of a studio behind him but it wasn't a as you know as uh raf has pointed out it wasn't a massive budget um but uh Mm -hmm. i think you know whatever budget he's working with i'm sure spurberg's the kind of person that's gonna strive to go that extra mile to try and painfully recreate Mm
0: -hmm.
2: places um yeah for the camera Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they were actually, so Brunlitz, the um, labor camp where a lot of the action takes place, uh, I think they were were, were actually permitted to shoot inside there, but they couldn't because you could see high rises, Mm. um, like Uh. uh, apartment blocks. And office buildings um, from that location, so they just basically ended up building the an ex, almost an identical replica of it mm. a few blocks down the road. Wow!
1: So to talk about yeah, to talk about the you know the the scale of 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 this movie, you know, recreating these these horrific you know sets or these horrific uh, uh, institutions, uh, that also takes a lot out of out of someone, and I feel everyone that did this film walked away very changed Um, not just because of the subject matter, but because they had to soak themselves in, in, in the subject matter, Um, which is why it's also my, the the disbelief that I had about whether or not this film could be made nowadays. I don't know.
2: Well, I I do wonder if what, you know, uh, for certain sequences, whether or not these days if they had the budget they would not just you know opt to use cgi that's what i mean or some yeah. kind of uh graphics instead of what i imagine had to be practical effects back then mm. like i think mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of that scene where it's it's, you know it's even it's horrible even just to talk about it but when they're exhuming the bodies from that mass burial site and mm. there's just it just looks like there are dozens like if not dozens you know i don't know hundreds of of, of bodies in the ground that they're piling up. and you have scenes mm. even when you know soldiers are jumping o- over the bodies and tripping over them. Yeah. and those bodies and the bodies look they, the cameras so close to the bodies, they look really lifelike. And so obviously, mm. I don't think that they were real people like extras. so they were probably uh, dummies that had to be crafted by hand. And to think mm. of actually having to go through the process be one of those people tasked with making yeah. one of these bodies like what what a hellish job that would be.
1: Mm yeah so again I, I reiterate the fact that I think everyone was changed everyone involved I'm talking anyone who collaborated in this film was forever changed with what they had to do what whatever task they had to they had to accomplish for this film um so it takes a lot of uh, brevity it takes a lot of courage to even think think, to even consume the idea of making a film like this, which is why the hesitation for Steven Spielberg, and which is why the refusal for all the other top directors that he's asked, because how, you know?
2: Well, I think people are worried. And I mean, it's an ongoing conversation even around this film, which is, I think, largely beloved um, by the critical community and by the public. But there is a conversation of, is there any way of making a movie like a, a movie about the Holocaust without it being exploitive. Um, yeah. And so course. there are people out there who think you can't do that, you know, um, mm. famously cloud landsman, the, the, the documentarian who directed the eight hour epic show, Oh Up, yes, of course, yeah. which inspired this film, which was, you know, a film that Spielberg often looked to when he was making Schindler's list. He himself mm-hmm. came out and said that this was, should not have been made and that this was, um, I don't know the words he used, um, but I think he something along the lines of it was a travesty and it was mm. uh, completely disrespectful to the victims. Yeah, he sa- I think he actually said that after show he thought nobody would attempt to try and turn the Holocaust into a piece of entertainment or into a, into, into fiction. And mm. uh, Spielberg tried to nevertheless. And whether or not you should have, you know, it it did. This did bring back the the Holocaust into the public consciousness of so many audiences because it was such a successful film. So many people saw it.
1: Yeah. So there is controversy behind it, but in a way, it, it it did what it was it was meant to to do you know impact it was meant to 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 lay a particular scar in in the membrane of 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 us of of those who who have witnessed it I I like to believe he did it with grace but obviously yeah there would be people that that would think that no this isn't right
2: yeah so we mm-hmm. should we should talk a little bit more about the performances yes before, yes before absolutely. We before we give our ratings and whatnot. Um, We've already mentioned, I mean, Raf Raf and Jabril, you talked about how much you liked Liam Neeson's performances. Um, Mm -hmm. I personally thought that uh, uh, Ray Fiennes, of course, nominated for an Oscar, gives a chilling um, performance. But I I walked away actually really struck by Ben Kingsley in his film.
0: Yeah. uh, Mm.
2: This time watching it anyway. Yeah, I really enjoyed his film. I thought he brought such a... Yeah, absolutely. I think he brought such a um, dignity
0: mm-hmm. to mm.
2: and um, to to that character. And he's—I know, you know—obviously he's a, a knighted figure. He's a knighted actor. He's what renowned, but he's not mm-hmm. someone who I often think of when I think of the pantheon of great actors. But he, yeah, he—he he really touched me in this film.
1: Yeah, and I think he does. He does have that array uh in his filmography that makes you question some of his choices, but when you see him at the height of 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 his of his craft of his talent you get something like this and it's so subdued it's so complex it's so grounded and when you think of like how um,
2: restrained this performance was and you compare oh that to his God. performance in a film like sexy beast <laughs> which, I don't, know, which uh, yeah. general, I don't know i don't know have you have you guys seen
1: that film uh i i i yeah i i've seen bits of it for sure i get the reference i get the reference
2: okay well it's a brilliant film and he's fantastic in it but it's about i mean it's like take you know this character and then go in the complete opposite direction and you get somewhere close to his performance in that film
1: but anyway yeah yeah but um no so yeah it's i mean for for, it wouldn't be the same film if there wasn't the 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 core, right? Liam, Ben, and Rafe. I think they bring they bring this film to a heightened um, to a heightened performance because of how well they portray their roles. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I mentioned that for me, Liam was his finest performance ever, in my opinion. But Rafe, I mean, how could you go without talking about his his performance—it's—he is portraying—he is portraying evil itself, you know. It's—it's, it's, you know—it's, it, yeah. I—I I, I'm speechless sometimes when I think of 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 his performance and how he had to how he had to go about, you know, carrying such a, a character on his shoulder.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's um. I mean, it's such an interesting villain, if you can even call his character that. I don't know if calling him a villain no, is
1: maybe not. somehow
2: yeah. uh, disrespectful to the actual war criminals mm. that ex- that partook in this. But because um, uh, we we were actually talking about this before we started recording about how it's not like he's necessarily a mastermind or a particularly intelligent antagonist. He's, as you guys pointed out, he's kind of a an idiot yeah or or at least he's kind of blinded by his own arrogance that he couldn't see you know what oscar was doing under his nose
1: yeah
2: uh, or behind his back and the way he how the tantrums he throws throughout and how vain and preening he is how obsessed he is with how his own appearance i mean Mm. and i think it says very childlike yeah. yeah absolutely and it says something interesting about how uh, you don't need, you wouldn't probably have had to be that, you would, You probably wouldn't have had to be that intelligent to rise the ranks in um, the Nazi party in the Third Reich. You probably just had to be remorseless. Yeah. And yeah. that is what his character, that is what Eamon Goethe was. Yeah,
0: like speaking of remorseless, like since he played another character who was pretty evil, um, all I could see was <laughs> Voldemort when whenever he was playing. And yeah him being a Nazi, he, in my opinion, played, yeah, a very dumb character who was just very greedy and was there more for, like, the fun, you know? Like, he wanted to to be famous. He wanted to drink. He wanted to be with all the women in the city. And, like, it just felt like the... Every single Nazi character in that that film was like that.
1: Yeah, and there's an interesting point because uh, as as I talked about this character with my wife, we went on to talk about uh, Hannah Arendt and her and and the phrase the banality of evil. Uh, and how we kind of had a discourse and a discussion o- on that um, because was he evil or was just the duties that he was given evil? You know, what the layers of evil or, or the word evil itself, you know, what does it mean? Because to him, he's just doing his job, you know. Yes, he's doing his job and he's taking, you know, uh, he he he's taking such, uh, how do you say it, such uh Such happiness in doing so maybe not happiness but he is he's undertaken it very well um but it is that responsibility of the institution that has made a man like this or that has has trained someone to to go about you know sniping jewish people that are not working in a concentration camp
0: what makes it so real is you see him develop i think by the end of the movie he's made out to be like crazy and i think in in the ending sequences they say that he goes to a mentally like a yeah he does he does yeah he goes to a hospital Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. he does um i don't know the like the way the way they present the banality of evil in the movie is very interesting one Mm. because absolutely like did the evil make him go mad or was he just mad or so many questions you know
1: yeah a lot of complexion and there is actually a great um for for the listeners out there that kind of want to go deeper into this character amon goth who was uh who was uh, an actual commandant um there is several articles that really um, describe his life. And it's a very fascinating read, especially after the war, his life after the war. He went through different stages before he he was hung. Uh, fascinating, fascinating character and, and yeah, fascinating maybe we uh, can, portrayal.
2: Maybe we can link to some of those articles in the show notes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good.
0: But I think we should stop it right here. Um, You know, we can go Mm. talking about this for ages. Like this movie is itself is just a masterpiece. And I think we could have a whole podcast series talking about Shenmue's List. So yeah, yeah, that's mm, true. It is a great movie. And I think probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, So I think we should just move on to some ratings. What do you guys think?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, let's uh let's rate this masterpiece. This might be a similar rating if we if we've each and every one of us has called it a masterpiece, we could be similar ratings here. But Jabro, why don't you start us off?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go with a 10 out of 10. It has to be a 10 out of 10. Just everything from the characters, storytelling, uh the way it was filmed, the set, just its impact in general such a great movie
1: mm-hmm. and
0: definitely spielberg's best piece of work like i i can't really say anything like it is definitely it's,
1: yeah. it's a
0: masterpiece hands down and that's it it's not a james milner performance this is a pele performance <laughs> it's a pele <laughs> performance uh, it's 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 uh, beautiful it's beautiful. Yeah.
2: It's yeah. Beautiful. yeah um... Yeah it's it's you know it's 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 hard even trying to it's hard giving even giving a rating to this film because as i mentioned at the top of this recording i think that it's really hard to talk about this movie in any um in any objective fashion and to talk about it in the way you talk about other movies mm. um i would i will say i don't think it's one of my favorite you might you guys might find this <laughs> Pretty um incredulous. But uh, I don't think it's one of I would I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite Spielberg films. I don't know if it's in my top three. But regardless, mm-hmm. it is a monumental achievement in so many senses of the word. And I just think, yeah, it's um everyone this should be required viewing. And I would give this uh a nine out of ten. I was thinking actually. Of, so, as for our long-time listeners, you may not know, have noticed that when we give our ratings at the end, we usually like to take a, a little item from the movie <laughs> and try and include that in our rating, like ten sharp teeth. Think, uh,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. this works here. <laughs> I was
2: trying to think of various. I was trying to think of one that would be respectful, and I uh, and thank God I did not pick anything. So um, yeah. yeah, I would give this a, a nine.
1: Yeah, I had the same dilemma as you, um, Ollie. I was I was I was gonna use a totem from the film, but it just doesn't <laughs> work. So I yes, I mean it's epic cinema. It's tragic cinema. It's an act of remembrance and consciousness, and it's and it's steeped forever in our history. Not only what happened, but the film, how its portrayal uh, manages to 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 capture that very specific time in our history. It's powerful. It's affecting piece of work, and it's a ten out of ten for me.
2: Definitely. Great. well, well we did it, guys.
1: We go yeah. through Schindler's List. Yeah, we did the hard. We did the hard part. Yeah, well, we did
0: the, let's do easy movies. I think we got to do some easy no more, movies. No more.
1: No more. No yeah. more lists.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to say, um, Schindler's List is like a once in like five years type of movie. Like I don't think I'll be watching this anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not a not a rewatchable. Yeah.
1: No, it's not a Saturday no. night movie. <laughs>
0: But anyways, let's end it here. Before we go, I just want you guys to remember, share, like, comment, five stars, rate us on iTunes, rate us on Spotify. We're on all of that. And also uh, follow us on Instagram and all our other social media if we have it. And um, yeah.
1: Yeah, feel free to follow me on IMDb. on On feel free to follow oh, yeah. my Instagram. Oh yeah, hell yeah, just, we're gonna you know, plug everything. Whatever you want to do, guys. Shameless <laughs> plug. Let's do it. Shameless.
0: Yeah. Shameless. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> on
2: our Schindler's List episode.
1: Yeah, god damn it. How could I? Well.
0: Um sorry. <laughs> we had to we had to find something. Yeah, we had to find had to something. End. Yeah. Yeah, well, so yeah, guys, uh, don't forget right. to like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And uh <laughs> he says it again out of fear (laughs) just in case I have to do some cutting it's more like he's begging
2: the he's like begging the listener again please share (laughs) like
1: and subscribe question mark
0: (laughs) oh we we held in the Uh, laughs for so long until right till the end yeah Uh, yeah oh god okay yeah well um thank you guys Uh, for listening and I'll catch you guys soon yeah bye Bye. Hey guys, if you like the show, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on both at. I missed you. Thanks for listening, guys, and catch you soon.